Okay, welcome everyone to another podcast episode from Product Coalition with myself, Jay Stansel, and Brad Dunn over in Melbourne. I'm in Lisbon. This is a bit of a different type of podcast episode. We're trying something new, much more conversational, a lot less like an interview, and um, hopefully uh, a bit more fun and laid back than what you've listened to with regards to some of the sort of more topic-based approach to to the podcasts. Um, Brad, welcome. Good to chat to you again. Thank you. I think people need some uh, conversations at the moment anyway. <laughs> they do, they do. Given the, uh, you know, given what's going on. Indeed. Thanks In- for having me. Indeed. It's, it's, it's good to have you on, on board. Um, I'm looking forward to chatting through. Let's let's get started. You're, you're working as a CPO in the world of COVID-19 um, in crisis communications. Can you just Very true. Give, give us a bit of background on what's that all about. Yeah, so I started um, started a job as the chief product officer for a company called Whisper, and uh, it's actually been around for a really long time. It's been around for about twenty years or something. Um, and its background has been in crisis communications. So um, we do a lot of work with like sending alerts to people during the bushfires, um, you know, we work with, uh, the New Zealand police force, um, about, sorry, the, um, not New Zealand police force, you know, like the triple zero in New Zealand. Um, so we'd work around like things that are going wrong and how do we send messages to people in, in sensitive situations. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been really interesting because, um, we, we we did a leadership offsite um, pretty much a couple of days after this virus kicked off, and the CEO Jeremy at the time was talking about, you know, if this thing if this thing really gets legs, like companies are just they're not set up to deal with um, to deal with this, like in a in a simple way. And if you think about what Whisper does, like we can send all kinds of messages, like rich messages and web forms and. Um, and so if, you, if you've got like a software application, you can kind of use our API and you can send SMSs out and, um, under a bunch of conditions. So, um, like if this kind of thing happens, then send these kind of messages. Um, and so we, we were talking about, you know, what happens if, um, companies need to start reporting on like who's coming into the building and, um, similar to how an airport does it, they say like, what, you know, if you have, I don't know if you've ever been to that, when you come into the Melbourne airport, they, there's that little kiosk and they ask you, have you been to South Africa or something? Yeah. Um, and so we, we built like a similar thing. We were like, Hey, have you, you know, do you have flu like symptoms? And we created these like really beautiful message templates and we just gave them to customers. So we basically said like, look, if you need help, just kind of managing a coronavirus, everything from travel declaration forms to, um, we, we created about 12 different message templates that are just like ready to go that basically businesses can use to um, just kind of help manage the crisis. And then it just kind of took off <laughs> like wow. the, the virus, like we were just kind of talking about it, like, Oh, maybe this will be a thing. Um, yeah. And maybe we should just build some templates around it. And then it just became like a storm. Um, and every company was like, we're not sure how to deal with this. And Jeremy and I even flew up to Sydney and we met with the new chief product officer of Telstra 
Right. Um, and we, yeah, we had like really interesting chats with them about like how they're planning to deal with the coronavirus. And this was before anyone was working from home. Like this was just right. like maybe people will get the flu. Like yeah. that was kind of what was going on. Right. And then, um, and then it just became this like, you know, <laughs> this pandemic. Um, and so we just kind of got, we just kind of got swamped with, um, with these inquiries about like how to deal with it. So that, that's kind of how we got roped into it. Um, and then last week, like the chief medical officer of Victoria held this press conference and like the press conference, they're talking about whisper and the software and they were just kind of prepping the public, I think in ways to say, I'm going to get MS. Um, you're going to get right. messages about how to wash your hands and how to like, how to cope with the virus. Um, and it's going to come from whisper. Um, it was kind of interesting, right? Like I've never seen like a product I've worked on being mentioned in a government press conference. And then the, the journalist is first question, like after the thing is like, so can you tell me more about this whisper thing? And it's like really surreal because we're all kind of watching it wow. kind of unfold. Um, and it's actually just been really helpful. Like, like I was really surprised because like I have all these, we have these product teams that kind of work on different things, right? They've, mm. they've kind of got their own things to do. And when this came up, like there was a part of me, it was like, oh, how am I going to, how am I going to wrap a, a, a bunch of people around this idea to get it out the door? And um, it was really interesting like watching it because the business kind of just created this self-managed team and people basically just put up their hand and said, I'll, I'll work on this. Mm-hmm. And everyone just in the business just like found a way to get these templates built really quickly, like really quickly. Um, and you know, there was, um, someone in Singapore, which got involved and we had some people in Melbourne, people from the marketing team. And it was just interesting watching like a, it's like the whole, um, you know, self-organizing teams thing. It was interesting to watch it unfold. And I'm really curious about that. I was like, oh, this is, this will be really hard. Um, and at time, at times it obviously was because everyone's got their own priorities, but it was cool to see a bunch of people just self-organize around an idea and, um, and get these things online really, which was, um, it's, yeah, it's been really, it's been really interesting. Um, and then even like last week, like I was kind of scrolling through Twitter and just looking at all these people losing their jobs and whispers just kind of like one of these very rare businesses that kind of thrive under these conditions in some ways. Mm. Like, um, there's sort of a few categories of businesses that do all right. Like, like, I, I don't know what it's like in Europe at the moment, but when I go to Coles and Woolworths and stuff, you just get a sense they're going to have just a really, they're going to have a roaring quarter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there must, there must be like businesses out there that just are in the same boat. Um, and I think Wisp is just one of those businesses that, um, you know, as this, as this gets to be more of a problem, we're sort of so stitched into it, into the infrastructure of how companies manage this stuff. Um that it's kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of good for us because like we don't have the same, like we don't need to let people go and which has been really sad to watch, right, especially in the retail and hospitality spaces and like we're hiring, like we're hiring like, right. you know, a lot of people at the moment. I hired someone, we had a new product marketing person start yesterday and has it, um, um, so it's kind of has, has it shifted yeah, your Has it shifted your roadmap dramatically? No, I was really careful about that because right. um, I didn't. I didn't want it. To, I didn't want it to because because um, when I started, we had 
like a fairly large, um, we had a fairly large team basically just had kind of everyone in this single team. And when I arrived, we kind of put them into smaller cross-functional teams and we gave each team like a really clear purpose and each team had really clear objectives and then they kind of all had their own roadmaps. Right. Um, and so I was, I was, it was a source of like, uh, I was very, I was very mindful of like not trying to disrupt all the roadmaps because, um, and so I, I just kind of, I was really lucky because one of the designers uh, happens to know how to code in React and do some basic JavaScript stuff. So I, I could put her in the team and she really, she really like helped um, and just kind of could get the templates done with some people from enablement and support and one of the sales guys in actually the sales VP in Singapore. Um, so there was a real group of people and also the, some people from marketing. So I, it was really lucky it didn't disrupt any of the roadmap stuff. Right. Interesting. Um, it's, it's amazing how high, these people. In hindsight, would it have, would it have mattered anyway? Like with, with the apocalypse looming, <laughs> like, and I'm sitting here going, man, don't, don't destroy my roadmaps over this, <laughs> over this <laughs> pandemic, but, um, put into a bit more perspective, it's, it probably would have been worth it anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, um, it's always been my dream to make sure when I do die, I'm wearing a suit. So, you know, I look my best. So it's a bit like one of those situations, you know, you're trying to get everything polished and ready yeah. with the apocalypse forthcoming. Um, do you reckon? Wait, but I have a I have a question for you. Yeah. How was the How was the? So you're in Lisbon at the moment. Yes. How is what's the vibe of just the streets and I don't know what's life like over there? Yeah. So Lisbon. Um, so start with some data first in a product session. So Lisbon makes up 10% of all confirmed cases in Australia, in Australia, in Portugal right now, um, which mm. is quite low considering the population in Lisbon. So the worst part, um, the most affected area of Portugal is up in the north, Porto, Braga. Uh, so, uh, you know, um, where it's probably average daily temperature of about 12, 13 degrees at the moment. We're a bit milder mm. climate down here in Lisbon. So Lisbon is obviously the, the capital but isn't massively impacted like most capitals are around the world. It's actually um, the second largest city in Portugal that's, that's impacted. Um, so the, what's happening here is um, basically they declared a state of emergency 10 days ago, um, after, just after mm. we arrived in the country actually, and um, it's, you can go to the supermarket and... That's it. Um, so yeah, well. it's it's not policed though. So we see police out. So when I go to the supermarket, you know, but no one's stopping anyone or anything like that. There's still uh, liberties are respected, and I can see people walking their dogs from outside the the, the window. What's really interesting for me though, when I, they've got a really good dashboard in Portugal um, that's built by the government of the situation and the growth of. 80 plus year olds um, daily that are confirmed cases is just growing so rapidly. And the really sad mm. thing is when I look out the balcony behind me, the the only people I see on the streets that are talking to one another are people who are probably 70 plus. So for some reason, yeah, wow. it's just not driving home the message. And it's on everything. It's on the TV adverts. Um, it's It's everywhere they've got like a hashtag on the tv broadcasters and overlay the whole time stay at home and stuff but it's just not 
for some reason cutting through to to that age group for some reason and uh, it's a shame it's a shame that there's that messaging I'm, I'm torn between these two i hold these two conflicting ideas in my head one idea is that because you, you see something like this, like I don't know if, if you've ever seen anything like this before, but like I've certainly never seen anything like this before. And so I kind of search my brain for where in the part, like what can I draw on that tells me like what's going to happen in the future? And I have these two things. One is that like every economic textbook, you know, I've ever read or everything about like long-term investing, everything always says, you know, oh yeah, markets, markets sort themselves out. And you know, if you look at the S and P 500, it just looks like this graph, it goes up, there's all these dips, like everything's going to be fine. So like one part of my brain is like, oh, you know, this will, this will all blow over. But then this other part of me draws on like walking dead episodes and, you know, <laughs> these kind of like apocalyptic scenarios. And I just constantly bounce between either one. And I have I have no like middle ground on this. It's such a weird thing <laughs> you, to have, watch. Have you been working on your cardio just in case the zombies come? A, a little, yeah. We actually, yeah, we even watched um, we watched that movie Pandemic the other night with um, Matt <laughs> oh, Damon. No, you can't do I, have that. you seen that movie? <laughs> no, I don't want to watch anything like that right now. No. Oh, it's fantastic! It's it's I highly recommend it at the moment. There's some do, do you want to know what I've been watching online? And like, what? it's a cool product. Have you heard of Zwift, Z-W-I-F-T? I feel like I've seen the logo somewhere. What do they do? So you basically buy a bike at, for at home, um, like a fixed like exercise bike, and it's connected to the yeah. internet, and you put like an iPad in front of you, and you're racing other people in live oh. races on bikes in, also in their front rooms around the world. I just think I just does stumbled it, across it. Does it have um really? Does it have fancy visuals like you can ride down mountains and stuff? Yeah, yeah. There's like terrain, like and the bike oh, interacts with the terrain, so it's got like rumble yeah. effect and goes up and down hills. The bike goes up and down hill in your front room, um, and I was I, like, I watched cool. this peloton of like 150 people racing on the internet, all in their front room on bikes, and then. Sunday, um, Mo Farah, the marathon, British marathon runner, was mm. doing a running one. They've got a little device that you attach to your treadmill. And yeah. you can go running on Swift. So your avatar's running in the virtual world and you're running with Mo Farah. So what, is this, what does this cost to get done? Like if I, if <laughs> well, so I, I want to buy a, yeah. a Swift So I, I, I went to, I imagine this is Swift.com. Um, audience would have to check yeah, this that. This is like the best promotion <laughs> for this company. And it was about... <laughs> I think it was about three thousand pounds. So that's about six thousand yeah, Aussie okay. dollars now um, for a bike. Yeah. But they look like other things that are adapters. But it looks like the bike is like the treadmill was just like a little tiny two inch wide little thing that had like a sensor on the for the track of the treadmill yeah. as it went round. But the bike looked like an all in type commitment. But I was like, that's yeah. that's cool. That's what I've been watching yeah, at home I is people racing in their front yeah. rooms on fixed wheel bikes, but on the internet. Yeah. Well, this could be, this is what everyone's asking themselves, right? Like, is this, is this kind of an eight week thing? Is this like a two week thing? Or is this going to be, cause I was even thinking about this this week. Like, let's say this all comes good, right? Whether it's two weeks or six mm. months, it's pretty likely like this stuff has been coming up 
a lot over the years, like, you know, when SARS came out and when, you know, like all these viruses came out, like even my wife and I were in um, Vientiane in Laos when the last virus happened. Like I I can't remember what it was. No, I can't, I can't remember what it was. It might've been like swine flu or something like that. And, and I remember like, we'd been in the middle of nowhere and we got to VNTN and we just saw it on the news. And it was like global pandemic, you know, and we just thought, Oh, how are we going to get home? Um, and then it turned out to not be a big deal, but this stuff has obviously been coming up mm. more frequently. And so I kind of wonder whether businesses now are thinking, well, what if this is just like part of the cycle of economic activity and it's more mm. frequent, you know, like what if, and then people start thinking, okay, like I need to start, reorganizing my house yeah it changes the in trend. a way that allows me to just kind of work from home but yeah definitely like, like that- i was i was thinking i was thinking the other day like well the best business to be in right now would be a kind of short-term rental desk company <laughs> temporary stand-up desk yeah but like that zwift I company looking, i was looking for one they're they're, was- they're early adopter of market now i reckon shifted completely which was probably like elite yeah. cyclist athletes that wanted to train whilst watching evening reality TV, you know, that had to yeah. train every minute of the day and therefore it made sense to now people like me who basically owned a $150 <laughs> fixed wheel bike in Melbourne, you know, all of a sudden I'm on their radar yeah. now as the next step over the chasm. Yeah, yeah actually – We've been doing this uh, blue ocean strategy stuff at work and it's like finding the people that are just about to enter the market. So right now there's all these like pandemic customers that are entering these new markets. Well, you, you, you could probably make it a lot quicker to find people who aren't entering that market right now. Um, yeah, I know. It's, it's touching oh, that's everybody. pretty cool. That's a cool idea though. Cool product. I, I, I do think about that stuff now because we used to go to the gym across the street basically and, you know, they're in the same boat. They're like, they've shut their doors for now. Um, yeah, yeah like it's, it's changing. It's changing me. And the other, the other feature I've started, um, I suppose, using, uh, and I saw it there a few times, but never clicked on it. Um, was a watch party on Facebook. Have you ever set up a watch oh. party on Facebook? It's pretty cool. No, I never seen it. Pretty what cool. It, what does it do? So you find you like you're watching a video, and it, I mostly did it for live. There were some UK garage DJs that were broadcasting live. And you click watch mm. party. So you can either wa- click on the video and obviously you watch it with the rest of the internet and all of the spectrum of good and bad people that post comments. Yeah. Um, or you can click watch party and then you invite your friends and you and your friends watch that DJ, almost like in a private room. It's like a little VIP booth for you watching this DJ live. And you can yeah. chat with your friends and you, you can turn your video on as an overlay over the live DJ's video. Or you can do yeah. like pre-recorded videos or uploaded videos and you just go back to back. So we had half hour of watching like Tottenham Hotspur's best moments, which took about yeah. 15 minutes and then we run out of videos. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, so Watch Party, that's this is this like, a new feature. Yeah, I've I'm never optimistic. leveraged. I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic about like, all this stuff, like the, the craziness of the world right now, there's a part, like I said, there's a part of me that thinks, you know, okay, the sky is falling, but then there's another part of me that's like so used to being in this problem solving, like innovation mindset. Mm. And I'm like, Oh, these are just like new problems to solve. And then, 
you kind of scroll through feeds and people are like, 3D printing face masks. And I saw something yeah. the other day where someone came up with a modular design for ICU units. Yeah. And like, so everyone just goes yeah. into like problem solving mode. And so I think, I think, I think there's a really optimistic future to this. Um, there is. I do want to ask a question though. You mentioned the UK garage. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen that show on Netflix called People Just Do Nothing? No, but I've heard about it. It is probably my favorite show on television. Right, okay. It is, it's fantastic. It's basically like The Office set in this kind of council oh, it's flat set in, um, um, pirate radio. Swindon. Is that one in Swindon or is that something else? I don't know. It's like right. about a pirate. It's like a pirate radio station in the UK right. um, and it's, it's fantastic. Take me it's back, like, to, back to it my reminds me, It reminds me a lot about my about my youth actually. Well, I was going to say um, that whatever those characters are, I'm probably one of them when I was about 16, yeah. 17, driving around yeah. East London looking for pirate radio stations wherever you get the best yeah. reception. That was me. Yeah. It's, I highly, highly recommend it. If, if people Maybe it takes a whole it's virus very, very for funny. me to get back to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, funny, funny. Mm. Um, and are you on, are you the person that's not on House Party yet? Are you on the House Party app? Oh, I am not on House Party, right. but um, I actually did this um, a, probably a year ago. Um, I spent a couple of weeks helping a friend of mine. Is this guy called Nick Byrne. Actually, I don't know if you've have you met Nick Byrne before. Don't think so. Not sure. Maybe. He's, he's got this really interesting business called Type Human in um, Melbourne and they do, they do some like really interesting projects. They, they kind of really specialized in the early days in kind of blockchain technologies and they would work with like really big enterprises and kind of help them kind of build really interesting stuff. Right. Anyway, I was, I was working with, um, they, they needed some help for a couple of weeks and I, yeah, I just spent like a couple of weeks working on a project with them and, uh, yeah, they were using it. They were looking at it as like a way of, uh, dealing with remote staff. They just said, how do we have a really good connection with staff? Um, you know, every day and, um, the, yeah, they, they tried house party then it's cause they, they, you just kind of leave it on. Right. And you just kind of talk to people randomly and yeah, like, is that how it works? like me and you could be chatting now and all of a sudden one of my mates or your mates just butts in to this video and just rocks up and they come up with it as another face. So anyone can yeah. enter into anyone else's conversation. It's a bit like house parties, but without the need for an invite. Um, mm. So it's, it's, it's one of those things that changes the social dynamic as well. Like I, I, I had a yeah. friend's wife on there. I could see chatting to her friends. It's like, well, that would be weird if I went into <laughs> just rocked up yeah. into that. But some people will push that button and end up in a call where they know no one other than a wife of a friend and start chatting and probably get to make new friends or or not. Um, and it so they just ra- can you just join random? It's got to like be a connection. You need you need one degree of connection, I think, into any oh. conversation that's happening right now. And you can just rock up into it. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I like I like the idea of. I think even when we had like when we had Missouri, like we were kind of mostly remote. Like we had Kev, <clears throat> we had Kev who was in Xi'an in China, and Poe was in Thailand for a bit, and then these were kind of developers we had, and Pat was in Montreal, and so we had we had kind of done the remote thing for many years, and we used like 
Jason Freed's remote book oh, yeah. like that. We kind of read that and we went, yeah, this is how you run a company. And we just said, yeah, we're, we're in. Um, and it's been really interesting, like looking at companies now talk about how to do remote businesses at scale. Like even Whisper is almost everyone's working from home right. and um, by design or it's because of the situation. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's actually optional right. um, for now. Um, but I, but my understanding is there's about two people in the office. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think people can kind of see around corners and think, yeah, probably by Friday everyone will be working from home. But um, I do think about one thing, like I've been a big supporter of remote work. Like I actually think it's vastly more productive. It's not, I don't think it's for everyone. I don't think, um, I definitely don't think it's for everyone. I personally, I quite like it because I, I like to be pretty distraction free when I work and I think I can get more done at home than I probably could in the office. Um, but I think one thing I've reflected on a bit this week is I like the, I like the choice. Mm. And I think now that the choice has been removed, I, I don't like it as much. Like I don't mm. like the idea that I can't go into the office if I wanted to. Um, yep. And that's been a bit, that's been a bit of a, an observation I've just made about my own, personality and like the uh, this was like about a week ago right. like Antonino who was a he's a product manager who works on the API and integrations team and the developer that he was working on a project with um they're building like a whatsapp communication channel they're just working on that and um we were having this zoom meeting and it was just like getting really complicated and I was just like hey you guys live in the city right and they're like, yeah. And I was like, I'll just, I'll just meet you at the library. <laughs> and so we just met out the front of the state library. This was before it was all like, you couldn't, yeah. you couldn't meet with people. Um, and so I, and, but I, and that was like my frustration. I was just like, I just want to get in a room and kind of whiteboard this out, but it was just too hard to do over zoom. Yeah. And um, I, like, I can tell you that for me, you know, there's remote working and then there's remote working in a one person company. And obviously during yeah. my time of being in Europe now, it's been um, eight weeks. And for the most part, other than when I'm on podcasts, I'm, I'm on my own, you know. And certainly yeah. um, I've felt the need to socially engage. Um, but we've not, there's no one around to do it. There's no one else in the company, you know. Um, yeah. So there, I think people will start to feel it all a little bit different. Um, yeah. Yeah. So do you think we'll do you think you would do you think you would prefer like if you had a team of ten people, would you prefer to have it like remote or would you like what's your preference? I think it comes down to the talent of the team. Like if you've got a yeah. like an AE team but you can't be together because you there's five of you let's say and you live in five different countries, but you're mm. an A team, then if you can make it if you can still be an A team whilst remote working or in spite of remote working, yeah. then stay as an A team who's remote working. But if you can mm-hmm. match that quality next door or down the road and have the choice, yeah, then I think to your point, that's better. Um, and, and I think it's something to do with the chemistry. Like this, there's a reward yeah. in the chemistry of sharing a coffee. Like humans are human. Like we're social animals, yeah. even if we're the most unsociable. Um, so, yeah, I, I think what you said was really interesting point. Um, the choice as opposed to the the remote work is the thing th- yeah. that may be the rewarding feeling of it. 
Yeah, I was I was watching uh, Moneyball the other day, which is great. Which is a great movie. Like I love that movie. But they was talk this a lot before about or after the get, pandemic movie? Do you go back to back? I think it was. I think it was before. <laughs> right. Moneyball's Moneyball's not started off happy related, and went. <laughs> yeah, it's inspiring. Um, but you know, like why why do we pick certain players? It's like because they get on base, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what you want. You want players that get on base. And I think if given me, like if you asked me would I prefer a team that's remote or like on site? I don't care. I just want players that get on base. Like that's kind of what you want. You just want people that get customer value out the door. And like, I don't care whether they're remote, whether they're in their office or whether they're. And we've all seen, we've all seen anyone who's been part of a, a transformation shift to remote workforces from onshore to offshore where the only reason for it is a financial reason. We've all seen yeah. and felt the pain so that, that come with that, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Because the, the money doesn't stack up. It might be cheaper by the hour, but it might be more expensive by the project. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I often think, um, I think outsourcing gets a bit of a bad rap sometimes too. Like, you know, when people say, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of unfashionable. It's sort of a bit of a like unfashionable thing to say is like, Oh, we want to, you know, hire some developers overseas. Um, and one thing I've always thought about is like just being a developer in Australia doesn't make you amazing. Like just, just just be a presence here. Right. Um, you, you, at the end of the day, you've got to like get on base. You've got to like, uh, and I think, I think great people come from all walks of life and all locations. And, you know, I've some of the best performers um, I've ever had have been like in really strange locations, remote. Um, so I think that, I don't think there's much of a correlation between like where you are and, and quality, what, you know, no, how well you, not. yeah, yeah. Uh, like, I, I but, I do, but I do think sometimes like Amazon, I'm, I imagine, cause Amazon do those like uh, recruitment drives where they go to cities and they, yes. they kind of pick out all the best talent. And I do wonder though, whether they go to these remote locations run these drives and then they just drain the talent pool of all the A players. Like, I, I wonder if that's going on. Yeah, no, it's a good, good point. Um, especially if it was done at scale beyond Amazon as well. Um, yeah. Like yeah. Google and Facebook do it as well. Right. And Microsoft do it. And yeah. like even my, my brother-in-law, he, he went to work for Microsoft in Seattle mm. at probably, I think he went at like 18 or something. Right. And they went to Perth, they did a recruitment drive yep. and they even picked up this other friend of mine, Chris G. And they, they both went just like straight out of university, yeah, shipped yeah. off to Seattle, Microsoft paid for everything, made it really compelling. Mm. But um, then the flip, the flip side of it is if Microsoft hadn't come and done that, how would their life have gone? Would they have found the same opportunities? Would they have found the same maybe lifestyle, yeah, financial rewards in Perth that... yeah. Microsoft, so yeah, it's a tough one. Oh, definitely. If Google came and knocked on my door at 18 years of age, I'd be like ecstatic. <laughs> it's also kind of exciting too, right? Go off to a amazing place. Oh yeah. Do you actually do you do you like Douglas Coupland, the writer? I don't know. I don't know. He's um he's kind of a very funny Gen X kind of writer, but he oh, wrote okay. this book called Microsurfs which is um, it's kind of like a fictional account of Microsoft employees living in share houses in Seattle. <laughs> right, okay. 
It's like, like I Silicon Valley. It was about. <laughs> yeah, kinda. Right, yeah, okay. and it's all about it's all about basically people hating their jobs and just waiting for their shares to vest. And people come right. in and out of this share house, and they're all just like they all want to get out, but they just kind of um, yeah. It's it's really funny. It's a really funny book. But it, made, it did make when I read it. It did make me think about my brother-in-law. But yeah, like in you know, Seattle. well, here I am in Lisbon, still exploring, and I'm nearly forty with a four-year-old child. And yeah, yeah, you know. So what's the, what's the most what's the most interesting thing about Lisbon? <laughs> uh, can, how, how long you I been can't there? tell you much because I'm in lockdown. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what, like, the most, what are you what at are the you... moment? The most interesting thing I'm watching is I've got a civil administration building opposite, and the woman doing data entry in a system that yeah. looks like it was built in the 1980s at best. I mean, he's got two colours on the screen, and I just think, yeah, what is she doing all day? What's the cost of that? And when will that be automated? Um, because yeah. she's there at eight, goes home at four on the clock. I mean, she's in the office, still going to work as well. Um, and yeah. so, you know, and it's, it's to do with medical as well. It's like a medical civil building. Um, so, yeah, that's about the interesting thing that I've got right now. Outside of lockdown, um, I'm looking forward to exploring the coffee scene, as you know. I enjoy a cup. Hmm. Um, it's quite a, a good few roasters here now um in lisbon so i'm looking forward to checking out some of the roasters and um and trying some of the food as well the food scene there's quite a few melbourne yep. brunch style or you know as it gets called around the world now aussie aussie brunch style cafes open up yeah. in lisbon um by australians and non-australians are they, are well. they still open <laughs> no nah, no nah, it's all takeaway yeah. only um a friend of yeah. mine is a chef uh and uh, I'll, get, I'll give him a plug, Cafe Dedes. And, um, yeah, they've shut down um, during all mm. of this. Just, they're just like a 10 a cafe, not worth from a financial perspective to, to fight against it all. So, yeah, Lisbon is um, – I'm really enjoying the architecture. You know, everything's 250 years old, um, being modernised, so you get this real strong mix of renovated buildings next to dilapidated buildings that are ripe for picking – um, yeah. a lot of empty property over here, commercial and residential in the city centre. And so I'm looking forward to finding out why that is, whether it's bureaucracy that prevents it from being developed or, or something else. Yeah. Um, but is, um, it, really, is it true? Uh, is it, is it right? Portugal is one of those countries that's legalized all narcotics or something. Wouldn't have a clue. Don't know. I think I, I think man, right. I had this feeling they, they kind of, did some weird experiment maybe it maybe, right, maybe okay. it wasn't portugal yeah not sure yeah. not sure um but yeah i've uh, got out done a little bit of um sightseeing before lockdown and yeah um what's an interesting fact i can share uh the name lisbon currently comes apparently comes from ulysses i think the is it latin, oh. latin mythological person or creature not really. Yeah, there's some book, right? Not really across it. Um, but apparently that's who discovered it. And then there's obviously been many civilizations come and go um, over the time. But and lots of hills. Are you going to stay there very long? Who knows? Who knows? Um, yeah. I mean, we're obviously meant to be in Berlin for the tour right now. Um, yeah. Followed by Munich and Zurich and all of that's come to an end. So um, we'll see. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's nice though. It's very quaint, nice little town. 
lovely little rickety old trams like the 78 that goes up and down Chapel Street. Um, yeah. So there, there's there's definitely plenty of character about the place. And um, I think it's going to go through quite a bit of change, to be honest. There, there's still weird yeah. things in the city. Like you could be slap bang in the, the C, what we'd call the CBD in Australia, the downtown area. And you'll see like a, um, you know, like a brassiere shop. Like, like it looks like it's from the 80s. Like there's a mannequin in a window that looks like it hasn't, like it's in a time warp from like 30 years ago. Like no wow. window dress has been applied at all. And like yeah. they have all handwritten price tags and stuff. And that's in like downtown prime retail, like commercial tourist property. So it's still oh, not wow. gone through that. There's still those little, little family owned type outlets and things like that and clothes shops that just remind me of growing up in like a suburban town outside London in the 80s like it hasn't changed it's in a time warp so yeah um it'd be interesting to see what the financial situation what pressures that brings um but obviously yeah. businesses like that have survived many GFCs and financial crises throughout the year so maybe they're I don't know just resilient to it for some reason yeah, I think everyone's going to have to find some story out of this. Like I, I often think like what were the even restaurants like I was I was saying to my my wife like what what happens if all the restaurants close like more long term because I can't imagine the profit margins on restaurants are great and if you got rents kicking in and you know if everything just closes like I always remember um Tom Tom Goodwin or whatever he said, you know, if you were to restart your business again today, like in the, in the face of AI and automation, like how would it be different? And it'd be interesting to think like what would, what would happen if you closed down lots of sectors, like you just yeah. kind of took them offline and then they had this opportunity to reinvent themselves. Like mm. would they do it in the same way? And I think probably a lot of people would say, no, they'd probably do things very differently. Um, yeah, good so it could be this really interesting year. Like it could be, yeah, I just think about all the ways that you would re rethink the way you deliver things or you, you yeah. run shops or, um, yeah, like, I, I don't know, like it could be a really yeah. interesting time for that sort of thing. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's going to, um, re- reshape the game and it's going to accelerate a lot of things. Obviously the whole work from home and anything that's, technology driven for communication and collaboration has been accelerated tenfold yeah um, so yeah i think um do you know much about uh like deep mind in the uk yeah yeah a little bit yeah that'd be that'd be an interesting that'd be an interesting person to go and see like the the people that run that and well, talk to them to about me, i, I think any on. any data scientist who who looks after particularly in the B2C space, some algorithms, I reckon have been pretty screwed mm-hmm. up the last few weeks. Um, I know in businesses yeah. I've worked in, you know, call centre algorithms on predicting busiest time of day, day of week, week of year, et cetera, to forecast getting employees on bums on seats for a call centre would have been completely yeah. disrupted. Anything the algorithm would spit out would be irrelevant with, you know, what's going out right now i would expect um so yeah, yeah a lot of redesign That's cool. we, we do we've um we've created this kind of really interesting vision for the product like a whisper over the next five years and kind of we're really investing in kind of ai and machine learning and we're doing some prototypes with it at the moment um just about predicting things and detecting things and automating things throughout the process 
Um, it's been really interesting, like kind of infusing that into the way we work and um, kind of what, what the direction of the product will look like as well. Nice. Um, but yeah, I, I often think like what, you know, how, how do big black swan events kind of mess with prediction models? Cause even yesterday, like we, um, one of the guys is working on like a, a way of predicting open rates for messages and overlaying some different kind of attributes like message, you know, how does, how do the messages read and things like that so that we can, you know, like, cause ultimately when we send messages to people, imagine like in a bushfire zone, right. Yeah. You know, and there's fires going on, you want to send them a message to say like, Hey, you're in a really unsafe location. It's really important. They read those messages. So mm-hmm. we have to kind of do things and we want to try and predict like, what's the best way of getting them to see that message. Right. Um, okay. So you have to, so you have to worry to about the content, like sentiment and stuff like that in it as well? Yeah, yeah? That's, that's kind of what we're looking at. We're looking right. at like, you know, is there a way you take like Grammarly, for yep. example, Grammarly will take a bunch of text and they'll say, we think you need to rewrite this. We're trying to take that approach to all of the messages that we send right. so that we can help customers write messages that are a bit more engaging. Nice. You know, even, even things like if they're on brand or mm. if the tone of voice is right, like these are problems that we're trying to solve. Um, so that, you know, when messages go out, like, like if you're, um, if you're on a, even just like a commercial application, right. If you're on a train platform and you want to know when your train is going to be late, like, I don't want to send you a message if you're on holiday in Japan, right, yeah. because I don't want to, I don't want to like, I th- like, I think one thing I've just seen way too much in the communication space is we just kind of enslave humanity. Like that's kind of what all the communications companies do. They just, create a distribution list. They send messages to like 10 million people and then they just spam them to death. And it's all noise. Like you even see it with the coronavirus, right? You know, every software company you've signed up to has sent you a message about how they're dealing with the coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. And so what we want to do is like reduce the noise of all the communications to not, to just like have a bit more of a respectful relationship between the bit like our clients and their users, because at the moment, like the way we communicate to people is is crazy. We just we just abuse them basically. Right, just, it's that signal to noise ratio, you know, cutting through. Yeah. You know, when I got me fiftieth yeah. COVID nineteen update from the CEO of fiftieth <laughs> yeah, company, yeah. I can't remember signing up for. All of a sudden, it's just yeah. noise. It's all noise, and then I can't. Yeah. I can't see or feel what what's different from every other message. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's, that's what we're trying to predict, right? Like how do we get a message to Jay that doesn't, doesn't waste his time, that doesn't make his life more just, dis- you know, we call it like distraction-free messaging because it's, it's kind of got a bit ridiculous. And I think like I got an SMS yesterday about buying a mattress or something. I have zero interest in mat- mattresses. So all that message did was waste my time, actually make my life worse because if you think about, like we all want to spend less time on our phones. We all want to spend more time with our families and stuff, especially times like this. And so I think it's like a really good, a really good thing. Like we almost have a moral obligation is to try and reduce down the amount of noise that, um, that customers are getting about messages that they really just don't need. And then when you throw in the crisis element, it's, it's so critical that these things go out. Um, and even like we send those, I don't know if you ever got one of those warnings where you see the message and you can actually see the text message over the phone. Yeah. Right. Um, like you don't, so we send those and oh, that's, okay. that's, that's really, um, that's really interesting to be able to do that actually. Mm. But you got to respect, um, respect the channel. 
Yeah, I think I think it's just like I think people have worked out. Um, you know, there's there's like there's this, um, this slide deck that we have in the product vision side of it. It's just this photo of all these people out the front of um, Flinders Street Station. Everyone's just like just trapped in their phone. <laughs> they don't really know how to get out. Um, but even we've been talking about like uh, d- dynamic time schedules. So like I wake up really early, and so the best time to send me a message that I'll engage with is like a little before five or something like that when I'm just drinking tea or just kind of waiting for the day to start. Uh-huh. Um, and so like my time preference is probably different to yours, like especially cause your location and we're trying to use that as a way of working out when, when is the best time to send communications to people so that they actually read them and they actually absorb the message. Um, and so these are super oh. interesting problems mm. and it's kind of like stuff we're kind of excited to work on and, um, yeah, it's been really, really cool. Actually, like we, the first proof of concept AI thing that we worked on was yesterday. I kind of saw the the math about it, which was right. kind of cool. Um, nice. Yeah, we just I think over the next couple of years, it's something we'll kind of lean into a little bit yeah. more, which is always fun. Like it's fun, it's fun to work on that stuff in a very. I think businesses typically talk about AI in a in a kind of billboard sense. Like it's kind of like, and everyone does the same thing, right? They go how do we use the natural language processing sentiment analysis thing that Google and Amazon give us and then draw a little word chart about it? Like that's what everyone does. And then they sort of tick this AI Solution looking for a problem. Yeah. 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 And sentiment is cool. But like, I think what we try to do is, you know, we said, what can we really, what can we really help with? So we took all the jobs to be done we mapped them out. And then we said like, you know, where are the real opportunities where machine learning can actually help here? And then how do we infuse those three ideas, you know, prediction, automation, and detection to every step of the process that actually helps a customer with one of those jobs. So at the moment, like people send messages and they say, um, like, you know, we hear it a lot. Customers will send a message out with spelling mistakes in it. So we want to try and detect that and kind of help them, you know, be a really credible business and make sure that they're not sending yeah. kind of silly messages out and panicked. Yeah. Um, so it's been cool. It's been like a, a cool, yeah, good yeah, t- cool couple good of months to be into it. Nice. Now I've got to ask one more question, Brad, what's the name of your dog? Sure. Oh, Diego. Diego. It, for those that have been watching on YouTube, apology if you're listening to the podcast, Diego has been very good at keeping social distancing behind you <laughs> during <laughs> the whole session. <laughs> Did you yeah, have to yeah, train Diego to do that or sure. did you have a conversation before we hit record? No, he was just like, he just, just feeling couch, un- unsociable. I think he was trying to get out actually at some point. Yeah, no, all good. All good. Um, yeah. Great to chat through, mate. I really enjoyed having a nice informal yeah, chat about product, chat about the world um, session with you. So thank you very much. No worries, man. It's good to talk. Pleasure. For those listening in on the podcast or watching on YouTube, thank you for doing so. Um, This has been recorded as part of the Product Coalition podcast series. This is something a bit different, a bit more conversational as opposed to the product person interview format that I usually follow. I hope you've enjoyed it. Let me know via some feedback. You can email me, jay at productcoalition.com or wherever you see or hear this, add a review or a comment and I'll check it out. Thanks very much, Brett. See ya. Bye. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye.